Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to have you here this morning. How many kids do we have here? Raise your hand, kids. How many kids? How many kids at heart do we have here? You should all be raising your hand. We should all be kids at heart, shouldn't we? I want you to join with me on a journey this morning, a journey that I took a few weeks ago to the land of Israel, the Holy Land. I want you to go on that journey, and we're going to go see an oasis. We're going to be a part of an oasis there. And that oasis is right by the desert and mountains and the Dead Sea. Look at that. Look at that. Right all over there. That's where that oasis is, right over there. Matter of fact, kids, the Dead Sea there is the lowest point on all of earth. You can go tell your teachers tomorrow, I know the lowest place on earth, and it is at the Dead Sea. And you can tell them that. And we're going to go into the land of Israel to see all this uh, take place over the course of the day. Sound like fun? You want to join with me? And we're going to be able to, to see uh, someone and hear about someone who had a faith of influence and learn how we can better have a faith of influence as our series continues in that. Join me as we pray, though, to begin. Lord Jesus, we come into your presence today. We are grateful to give praise and glory and honor to you. You're our firm foundation. The battle belongs to you. Uh, we are grateful for that. Teach us today, we pray. Help us to draw close to you. And Holy Spirit, may you help us understand the word and apply it to our life. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For we ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. And this Bible story is going to teach us, really in summary, to pass the test to influence the rest. We pass the test to influence the rest. Kids, repeat that after me. We pass the test to influence the rest. And we're going to see that lived out very clearly today. You know, we, are, we have tests in our life, don't we? Uh, maybe going through right now in a variety of ways, but we have to pass tests. We have to pass academic tests. We have to pass fitness tests. We have to pass doctor's tests, uh, professional tests, security tests. We have to pass tests throughout a lifetime. And if we don't pass, we can't move on. We can't move ahead. Tests allow us to move on and move ahead. But if we don't pass, we don't do that. Uh, back when I was 15, I was practicing driving. I thought, okay, I've got this pretty good and overconfident, pretty cocky. And a couple of buddies of mine turned 16. They got their license, and I turned 16. They said, oh, we'll go to the same license facility that we did. It was easy. We got it. We got our license pretty. I said, great. So we went to Aurora, Illinois, Farnsworth Avenue, the driver uh, testing place there. And I got in, and I was just a little too cocky. <laughs> uh, kind of little running stops, rolling stops, maybe a little one-handed action here, maybe a little one-finger action <laughs> with the wheel, and I did not pass. I did not pass. Uh, they were bummed out because they drove a long way. I was mad. I was embarrassed. I was angry. But then I realized, you know what? I didn't do the things I needed to do to pass the test. And so I came back, I was humbled, I studied up, I practiced up, and I went and took the test and I got it again, because it's a big responsibility, right, to drive an auto and you've got to be doing the right things. 
And so I learned a lesson on that. But we had to pass, I had to pass that test in order to move on and to move ahead. And you know, the Lord, in, we're going to see in this story today, God is going to put David into a big test. And he's wanting David to pass that test so that he could help David move on and move ahead in his relationship with the Lord and in the work the Lord had called him to do. Uh, a man by the name of Alan Redpath, he was a pastor at Moody uh, Bible Institute for many, many years, said this, David was put through the crucible, the, the fiery testing of, in his life to determine his fitness for what God had planned for him to do. But God does that not only for David, he does that for you and me. He puts us in the crucible of testing in order for us to pass the test so we can move on and move ahead. And he does that so that we can move ahead, so we can pass that test to influence the rest, influence our own lives, influence the lives of those around us. So before we dig into 1 Samuel 23, uh, 24, rather, I want to I spend some time on a whirlwind tour of the nation of Israel, of, of setting the tempo for that. So God calls Abraham, right? He calls Abraham to be the father of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and he has a son, Isaac. He has a son, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, and one of those is Joseph. He's sold into slavery by his brothers into Egypt, but God had planned that because a famine hit. Joseph had risen to be the right-hand person of Pharaoh, and Joseph was able to bring his family down into Egypt, and they were fed and nourished and survived the famine. And they stayed there, and they grew as a nation. They grew as a big nation. And then a Pharaoh arose who didn't uh, care for the Israelites, and he put them under bondage and oppression. And they cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, help us. And Lord said, I'll send you a deliverer. And he sent Moses to them. And Moses delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt, right? The plagues there. They went through the Red Sea. And then they went toward the promised land. But what happened? They were in the Negev desert. And here's the Negev right here. One more there. There it is. We were in the Negev desert and you could see it's pretty barren. There was nothing there, and God had to feed them right through uh, the manna and the water because they had rebelled against the Lord. They didn't make the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb, and those two guys made the promised land why they had faith. They went into the promised land, and they conquered the promised land, and the nation of Israel was set... 12 tribes all around, spread out all around. You saw the map there, and the nation was... Uh, developing. And they got ruled by judges. There was uh, Deborah, and there was Gideon, and there was Samson. And then finally, the last one was Samuel, Samuel the last judge. And uh, the people cry out and say, we don't want just judges. We want a king like all these nations. And they said, all right, give us a king. And God, God said, all right, Samuel, you can anoint a king. And he anoints Saul to be king. And Saul is the king of Israel. And at that time, David is born. David is born in the city of Bethlehem. And there's Bethlehem right there. Of course, it didn't look quite like that 3,000 years ago, but we were there in Bethlehem. David was born there. And kids, who else was born in Bethlehem? 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem, wasn't he? Yeah. A thousand years later, Jesus was born there. And David is growing up, and, and he got to know the Lord. His family invested in him spiritually. He got to know the Lord and, and, uh, as a youngster. And let me just say, parents and grandparents, the most important thing you can be doing is investing in the spiritual lives of your kids and grandkids. And kids and young adults and youth, the most important thing you can be doing is to take that instruction and come to know the Lord and walk with him for a lifetime, right? It's the most important thing you can be doing. And David did that. And David was walking with the Lord. And God began to put David in some little tests. Little tests to be able to grow in his relationship with the Lord. And so he, he allowed David to, to be a shepherd boy. And he said, I want you to keep growing while you're a shepherd boy. And as he was out tending the sheep, uh, David was doing that. And so he could write in Psalm 23, maybe a psalm you know, the Lord is what? My shepherd I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the still waters. He restores my soul. He was growing in his walk with the Lord. Maybe at night when he had the sheep uh, down for the night and he'd lay there and he'd look up at the stars and he'd see the magnitude of what God had created and he could write in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. He was growing, he was passing that test of growing with the Lord and then the Lord wanted him to be living by faith. He wanted him to, to have that relationship and, and uh, grow deeper and exhibit that faith. And as Pastor Jason uh, taught us last week, he had a test. And we've got the Valley of Ella coming up here. And where's that Valley of Ella? Come on. There's the Valley of Ella. And this was my wife Betty's favorite place on the tour because she loves David anyway. And our tour guide said, right over here were the Israelites. And right over here were the Philistines. And it was in the summer and there was no creek, but you could see where this creek went right out. This little brook, this little water area there was dried up. But this is where David stepped out. And that's where Goliath stepped out. And they met in the Valley of Ella. And it's said in the scriptures, what, that David stepped out and grabbed five smooth stones. He only needed one in the slingshot and I couldn't get down to the brook, but I got down close enough and I picked up, not smooth stones, but I've got five stones. And I've got them in my office to remind me of God's faithfulness to David and to give him the strength and the courage to defeat that giant Goliath. David passed that test. And then lastly, David was given a small test uh, to love his enemy, Saul. Saul had become his enemy, not because of David, but because of Saul. Saul was jealous that Samuel had anointed David to be the next king, and Saul didn't want him to be king. And so Saul was chasing after him, and the map up here shows all the areas where David is having to hide and run with his men away from Saul. I mean, Saul, even one time when David was in his room, took a spear and threw it at him and missed him. God protected him through all of that. And so David's running, and you see where that arrow is. David ends up in the area of En Gedi, En Gedi. 
And this is going to be David's biggest test. And you know what? The Lord gives us small tests, but sometimes the Lord gives us big tests. This is going to be David's big test there at En Gedi. Now, as we look, the name En Gedi means the place of goats. And if you look really close, you're going to see, you see the goat there with the big horns there? They were all around the place. It's the place of the goats. It's an oasis in the middle of a barren desert. And David was there with his men, and they were in these caves. There were all kinds of caves all around. There's waterfalls. It's an amazing place. And David was there with his men, and they know that Saul is coming for him. Saul had left with 3,000 men to go fight the Philistines, as we pick it up in chapter 24. But now he's done, and he's chasing after David again. And David has to protect himself, has to protect his men. They go to En Gedi, and they go and they hide in a cave as Saul gets close to them. Now, amazingly, amazingly, Saul can't find him. The troops can't find him. David's hiding. But you know what? Saul had to go to the bathroom. Can you, can you believe that, that people actually had to go to the bathroom back then? They did, and they, where is he going to go? Well, he says, I'm going to pick a cave, and I'm going to go to the bathroom in the cave. And Saul goes into the cave, not realizing that was the cave where David and his men were hiding in the back. And he didn't know that. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 24. And David is there with his men, and what do his men say? Look at this. The Lord has brought Saul right into this cave. All you've got to do is kill him, and you will become king. And I'm sure David had to think about that. Oh, Lord, have you done that? My, my men say that. It seems like it. But no, Lord, I don't, I don't think that's right. And so David did something. He said, verse 4, David arose and stealthily, quietly, cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of the king's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. So David had to do the right thing, not take it into his own hands. And Saul leaves the cave. And now David's thinking, okay, do I stay quiet? Do I stay behind the scenes, protect my men? Or do I go and say something to Saul and have a witness to him that I could have taken his life? And he decides to do that. And he steps out as Saul leaves. And it says in verse 8, And afterward David arose and went out to the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks to do you harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hands against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. David took another risk to go and speak to Saul. 
But God was allowing him to pass this test as well. And so Saul has gone out and he hears, and now David's wondering, is he going to come back with his troops? He knows where I'm at. He's got 3,000. I've got 600. He's outnumbered me five to one. But Saul turns around, verse 16. Is that your voice, my son David? You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good. And I have repaid you evil. Verse 20. And now behold, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall surely be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, before the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of the Father's house. And David swore this to him and Saul left. Now David continued to hide out because he knew Saul had a... chance to change his mind, and he would. But for that time, he had passed the test. And he had passed the test so that he could influence the rest. Who did David influence? Well, David influenced his men because his men saw that he had faith in God to bring about his kingdom and his kingship in the proper time, and David didn't have to take it into his own hands. David had an influence on Saul because Saul didn't turn around and come back and attack. Saul acknowledged that David was more just than him. And David had an influence on Saul's family because Saul said, I know you're going to be king. Take care of my family when you're king. And David said, I would. And David would do that. But you have to come back next week and hear Pastor Jason's message and him taking care of Saul's family. He had passed the test so he could influence the rest, and the Lord puts us in tests so that we can influence. Who do we influence? We influence our own lives. We influence the lives of those around us when we pass the test. So as I looked at this passage, I said, okay, how did, how did David really pass the test? What do we need to do to pass the test? I picked up three things that I see is going to be helpful for me and hopefully you in the process of passing the test. First of all, we need to rely on God's pardon. We need to rely on God's pardon. David, when he went, he snuck up on the king, but he didn't kill the king. But what did he do? He, He cut off a piece of his robe. But even then, he realized that even an attack just on Saul's robe was an attack on the king. And he realized that was wrong, that was sinful. And he said, God forbid that I would do this. And he repented of that. He sought the Lord's pardon uh, in his life. And David needed to do that to just maintain that close walk with the Lord. And you and I need to do the same. We need to rely on the Lord's pardon in our life as well. Why? Well, young and old alike, everyone here, we all need to be forgiven by the Lord. We all need His uh, forgiveness because what? We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all of us. Sinful nature, and then we have sinful acts in our thoughts, our words, and the things that we do. We need a Savior. We all need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. Amen? He is that Savior. And so we come to trust in him. We put our faith and trust in him. 
We were in Galilee, and up near Galilee, there's a, a hillside, and it's the Mount of Beatitudes. And as we were there, this is the place where Jesus spoke the greatest sermon ever preached, the greatest speech ever given, the Sermon on the Mount. And he said in chapter 6 of Matthew, in the middle of that Sermon on the Mount, he said, pray like this. He was telling his disciples then, he's telling you and me today. Pray like this, and in that prayer he said, forgive us our trespasses, our debts, as we forgive those who trespassed against us, as we forgive our debtors. As we forgive our debtors, we need that forgiveness. I remember a, a song many, many years ago, and it says, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt I, he did not owe. Jesus did. He went to the cross for you, for me, hung on that cross, absorbed the punishment of sin that you deserve, I deserve. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we receive his righteousness, his forgiveness, and he takes on our sin, and we all need to do that in our life. Kids, do you know C.S. Lewis? You kids know C.S. Lewis, Narnia Chronicles. Have you guys ever read the Narnia Chronicles at all? With Peter, with Susan, Lucy, Edmund, right? Aslan and the stone table, the Pavenzi family. When Aslan went to that stone table, he was showing what Jesus did and taking on our sin. Well, C.S. Lewis, very wise man, wrote many, many books, but he said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven you the inexcusable. Isn't that good? Inexcusable. I couldn't forgive myself. I couldn't earn merit, merit God's favor, but he forgives me because of what Jesus did. And so I asked you this morning, young and old alike, have you come to that point of asking for the Lord's pardon in your life, truly repenting of sin, asking him to forgive and be your Savior and Lord? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the accepted time. Make sure you do that. And if you've done that, are you keeping short accounts with the Lord, asking him his pardon when those thoughts creep in, when those words come out of our mouth, when we do things that are uh, against the will of God, against um, what he has called us to do. We need to keep short accounts. The psalmist said this, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He's attended to the voice of my prayer. Why? Because I've asked for his pardon in my life. So I see that David passed the test because of relying on God's pardon, and we do the same. Second of all, we rely on God's protection. We rely on God's protection. David had trusted when he goes out and says something to Saul, Saul is not going to come back and kill him. And he had remembered, God had protected me. And last week, Pastor Jason said, remember when, when he told Saul, I've, I've killed the lions and the bears. By the way, those guys play, I think, in th week three of the NFL, but the Lions, and I'm a Bears fan, so I'll be paying attention. I killed the Lions and Bears. Then he, he, he kills Goliath, and then he avoids the spear of Saul. God had protected him, and David 
trusted for him his protection as well. And you know what? For you and me, we need to rely on the Lord's protection as well. And that helps us through those tests to know he's there with us. Jesus, in some of his final words before he ascended into heaven, telling his disciples and telling you and me today, he said, surely I am what? With you always, even to the end of the age. The writer of Hebrews said, quoting the Lord, I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Ever, ever. He says he will protect us and keep us. Kids, have you ever heard of the name Dr. David Livingston? David Livingston, he was a missionary from Scotland and he went to Africa and he shared the gospel with the people in Africa and he fought against the slave trade, which was oppressing and, and killing families and, and, and he did everything he could. But he made this statement one time. He said, I am immortal until my work is accomplished. The work that the Lord has called me to do. In this space of timeline, eternity past, eternity future, God has established a historical timeline, a linear timeline, and our life is somewhere on that timeline. And God says, you are immortal until your time frame is up. Now, we don't go jumping out of airplanes without a parachute, right, and presuming on the Lord, but we trust the Lord protection in the midst of that, that the lifespan he's given us will accomplish his purpose for you and for me. Is there something in your life today that you need to rely on the Lord's protection? Are you in a test? Can you trust him to protect you? Because he said he will. He is with you always. There's no better protector than having him right alongside us and inside of us. Finally, lastly, we rely on God's promises. David had been anointed king as a young boy by Samuel. He knew he would be king, and he trusted God's promise, and he did not have to take it into his own hands. He did not have to kill Saul. He knew that he could wait on the Lord's timing, and the Lord would bring him to be king because he rested in his promises. And you know, we need to rest on his promises as well. Kids, you might want to jot some, a couple of these verses. These verses are really helpful for me when I face tests. The first is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, when I face a temptation. Because it says, there is no temptation that is given to you, but such is common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Boy, I hold on to that promise. When I face a difficult circumstance, a trial, I think of Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And when I need guidance and direction in my life, I can go back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You probably know that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will what? He will direct your path. And I rest in those promises. What promise do you need to cling to today? 
to help you with the tests that you are facing. So what are some of those tests, tests as we wrap up today? Well, kids, maybe there's some other kids being unkind to you, not being fair to you, maybe even bullying you in some ways. And kids at heart, all the rest of us, maybe, maybe there's a broken relationship with a spouse, a child, a grandchild, a sibling, friend. Maybe there's a difficult time with a coworker or a boss. Maybe you're facing the test of a financial trial and difficulty. Maybe there's an addiction that you're needing to overcome. Maybe there's a heartbreak of a breakup or a, a loss or a family torn apart. Those are tests that we all face. We're dealing with. But the Lord reminds us that we can trust through that test. We can trust his pardon that we need. He could trust his protection. We could trust his promises. And when we do and we pass the test, we'll be able to pass the test so we can influence the rest. And that is the influence of faith. And that's our call. And to remind you of that, as you leave today, we actually have a piece of cloth. Now, it's unbelievable. We were in the cave in En Gedi and digging around, and we, we found what we believe is King Saul's robe. Can you believe it? We actually found his robe. No, we didn't do that. But this little strip of cloth, may it remind you, God calls you in the test that you are to pass the test to influence the rest out of his love and grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us your word, for dying on the cross, rising again, giving us forgiveness and victory. Thank you. And may we, Lord, recognize the tests you've placed us in and trust you and your forgiveness and your protection and your promises to see us through the test, that our lives may be a positive influence on others, that we would bring praise and glory to you. Lord, if there be anyone here this morning that needs to trust you for the very first time, put their faith in you, may they do so in the quietness of their heart, and may they tell someone that they are taking that step of faith. Lord, for those of us that you've brought into relationship, may we grow closer to you, and apply the truths that you've given us today. For we ask this all, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen and amen.